Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. My name is James Sagers, and my friends call me Jim or Jimmy. And it's my pleasure to introduce this series to you, Understanding Catholicism. Good morning. Well, at least it's good morning here. Today, it's my great pleasure to share with you the gift of the Ten Commandments. So let's begin, as we always do, with the Jesus Prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. O my divine Savior, transform me into yourself. May my hands be the hands of Jesus. May my tongue be the tongue of Jesus. Grant that every faculty of my body may serve only to glorify you. Above all, transform my soul and all its powers, that my memory, my will, and my affections may be the memory, the will, and the affections of Jesus. I pray you to destroy in me all that is not you, and grant that I may live but in you and for you, and that I may truly say with St. Paul, I live, no, now, not I, but Christ lives in me. Well, God gave us the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. They were the divine remedy for the slavery to sin that infected the chosen people. Those who look upon the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, literally the Ten Words, as restrictions of their freedom, they have bought into the devil's lie to Adam and Eve. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The truth is, the commandments are a precious gift from God that teaches us the fundamental steps for growing in love and holiness. The observance of the Ten Commandments places us on the path to holiness and a happy life, even in this world. So God instructed the chosen people, If you love the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, then you shall live and multiply. The Catholic Church follows the custom of St. Augustine using the numbering that we find in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 21, which separates coveting into two separate commandments. So let's look at the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. So while the first tablet focuses our attention on our loving relationship with God, 
The second tablet, which deals with the commandments 4 through 10, focuses on loving others. So the fourth commandment deals with the holiness of fatherhood and motherhood, then the holiness of human life, the sacredness of marriage, the holiness of private property, <clears throat> the holiness of speech and truth, and the holiness of our intention toward another's spouse, and the holiness of our intention toward another's property. <clears throat> so now, let's focus our attention on the first tablet. When Jesus was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. The first three commandments of the Decalogue, then, focus on our loving relationship with God. All three are rooted in God's holiness and they form the fundamental, the basic step on our journey to holiness. <clears throat> so the first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. St. John instructs us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Tragically, obedience today is often viewed as an impingement on our freedom, when in reality it is the true exercise of freedom. Obedience is love in action, which is a very important concept to understand. So, for example, when my children were small, I would instruct them that when they were disobedient to mom, they were saying to mom by their actions, Mom, I don't love you. So this would help them understand that obedience to God is also important. And when they were disobedient to God, they were saying, and God, I don't love you. So loving God sums up our basic duty toward God. It is the foundation of all the other commandments. In heaven, love is the only coin of the realm. It is the only thing we take with us to the next life. Thus, it is important to understand that in the Bible, obedience to God is how we show God that we love him. Obedience demonstrates our choice, what our heart really clings to. So the first commandment then embraces the virtues of faith and hope and love. These are called the three theological virtues because God is their direct object. These virtues are a gift of God's grace, which is revealed by faith, grows in hope, and then blossoms by love. Faith is vital. This virtue gives us the ability to submit to the truths God has revealed to us. We sin against the virtue of faith, when we either neglect revealed truths or deny all or part of the truths God revealed to us. The refusal to submit to the authority that Christ established in his church is also a sin against the virtue of faith. 
Hope is the virtue by which we place our trust in God's love and mercy rather than our own strength. The book of Hebrews urges, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, namely God, is faithful. Despair is a sin that abandons all our trust in God's mercy and love. It is also a sin of presumption to rely on God's mercy without our determined effort to avoid sin. This is the reason that St. Bernard of Clairvaux taught that a true conversion keeps a balance between God's mercy and his justice. So we are secure in God's mercy, but at the same time we know that his justice requires punishment for unrepented sins. And then finally, the virtue of love, which we also call charity. It compels us to choose God above all creatures. When our heart is completely surrendered to our loving God, we can then declare with the bride in the Song of Songs, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Indifference neglects God and treats him as if he is irrelevant. Ingratitude refuses to thank God for his many blessings. And lukewarmness is a neglect in responding to God's love. In the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit says to the church of Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. What did you work cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew, that is, vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. Acedia, or spiritual slope, is surrendering to extreme laziness in loving God. And hatred for God comes from pride. It denies his goodness <clears throat> and curses him because he forbids immoral acts and imposes just punishments for our sins. Other sins against the love of God would include idolatry, that is, demonizing or making a god out of creatures or making anything equal to God, Satanism, power, pleasure, race, ancestors, the state, money, self, etc. All of these are a way of, of creating false gods. Superstition attributes supernatural powers to objects or rituals apart from their very limited capacities. Divination is an attempt to predict the future or to gain knowledge of the unknown through so-called paranormal means without reference to God's revelation. Consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, the interpretation of omens and lots, clairvoyance, and the use of mediums are all forms of divination. And finally, magic or sorcery attempts to know and control the occult, demonic forces that are believed to influence the world. Witchcraft is one of the most common and serious sinful forms of this evil. Atheism is a broad term that includes anything from a lack of belief in God 
to a total denial of his existence. It's a serious problem today. It covers many different expressions. For example, practical atheism, which is very common today, ignores God as well. He's just irrelevant. One attempts then to fulfill human needs by relying exclusively on oneself and the things of this world. Atheistic humanism considers man to be the end in himself and the sole master of his destiny. The liberation atheism focuses on the betterment of man solely through economic and social means apart from God. This commandment also forbids idol worship or graven images. So the first commandment explicitly forbids making idols of anything that are honored or worshiped as a god. Today, it is common that people ignore God and worship the false trinity of me, myself, and I. In the second commandment, we are commanded, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This commandment requires that God's name and Jesus' name must always be treated with great respect. Oaths are also important. But when a person takes an oath using God's name and it calls God to stand behind the truth of what is affirmed, it is a grave evil if what we're asking God to affirm is a lie. Blasphemy is a sin of speaking contemptuously of God or his perfections. It is also blasphemous to speak evil of the Blessed Virgin Mary or the other saints or angels because they are God's chosen creatures that reside with him in paradise. In the third commandment, we are reminded to keep holy the Lord's day. This commandment establishes a holy time of rest in the Lord with our family and friends away from the labor of work. <clears throat> How can we say we love God if we don't set time apart from work to abide with him? So the Catholic Church obliges all Catholics to attend Mass on Sunday as the minimum requirement of fulfilling this commandment. Viewing the celebration of Mass on television is not attending Mass. So in addition to Sundays, Catholics are also obligated to attend Mass on the following feasts, called the Holy Days of Obligation. The Feast of Mary, the Mother of God, on January the 1st. The Ascension of our Lord Jesus on 50 days after Easter. The Assumption of Mary into Heaven on August the 15th. The Feast of All Saints on November the 1st. The Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December the 8th. And Christmas Day, December the 25th. The obligation to rest establishes holiness of time. Activity that meets the standard of work should be avoided on Sunday. Work should not be undertaken if it impedes with attending Mass, inhibits the festive joy of Sunday or Holy Days, or makes bodily and mental rest impossible. 
tragically in our modern secular culture. It places a heavy burden on many families to work on Sundays. The second tablet of the commandments focuses on loving others. So after identifying the first commandment, Jesus added, and the second is like it. Notice he says like it, not equal to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. However, on the night before he died, Jesus, when he was going to lay down his life for us, Jesus significantly upgraded the second commandment when he declared, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This elicits a very challenging question. How many of us could be fairly convicted of being a true Christian if Jesus' standard was applied to our behavior? The second tablet has seven commandments that focus on loving others. If these commandments were observed, even at a basic level, our world would be very much improved. The crime, the abuse, murders, wars, addictions, injustices, broken families, all of these things that plague our societies would disappear. Then we would discover true freedom. So the fourth commandment commands, honor your father and your mother. It's designed to protect the integrity of the family, of family relationships, and foster mutual love. It addresses the obligation of children to their parents. However, this commandment also covers the duties to extended family members, to the elderly, pupils to teachers, employees to employers, subordinates to leaders, citizens to those who administer or govern their country. This commandment also includes the duties of all those who exercise authority over others. The Christian family is particularly important. It is called the domestic church. So in communion with the Blessed Trinity, the family is called to educate their children in faith, to partake in prayer and sacrifice with Jesus in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, to pray daily and share in the readings of sacred scripture. We're called to help each other, to help each other get to heaven, which is the only real success in life. Civil authorities have a grave obligation to support and strengthen marriages and the family. But unfortunately today, the reverse is happening. The fifth commandment says, you shall not kill, literally murder. The killing of an innocent person, which is murder, is always gravely evil and never morally justified. Human life is sacred, and it must be protected from the moment of conception to natural death. Abortion is a particularly grave evil because it murders innocent, defenseless babies. 
This commandment also includes the obligation to conserve one's own life with ordinary means. It also allows for self-defense, but only with proportionate force needed to repel an unjust attacker. Euthanasia, which is the direct killing of the handicapped, sick, or dying, regardless of the motive, is always morally unacceptable. All the attacks on human life fail to recognize the immeasurable value of every human life. Giving scandal, that is, leading others into sin, also comes under the fifth commandment because it wounds or kills the life of grace in another's soul. Scandal is caused by unjust laws like abortion, unjust institutions like slavery, or fashion in modest dress, for example, entertainment, television, movies, and music, and political parties, which create factions and racism. The church acknowledges the possibility of a just war. However, for a war to be just, it must meet the following conditions. Number one, the damage inflicted by the aggressor must be lasting, grave, and certain. Number two, the means of avoiding the war must be shown to be impractical or ineffective. Number three, there must be a realistic prospect of success. Number four, the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders greater than the evil to be defended or eliminated. This is a problem today because the destructiveness of modern weapons weigh heavily in evaluating this condition. It is also immoral to cause a disabling mutilation or the death of a person by removing an organ in order to delay the death of another person. However, organ transplants are permitted when both the donor and the recipient give their informed consent and the physical and psychological dangers and risks are proportionate to the good sort and a qualified surgical team and the required equipment are available. Human cloning is gravely sinful. Why? Because it opposes the dignity of both the conjugal union between a husband and his wife and human procreation. The illicit use of drugs, including alcohol, is forbidden because in addition to damaging the body, they reduce a person to the level of an animal by impairing a person's ability to think and act properly. Now we come to the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. There is no greater distortion to human dignity and happiness today than the contemporary perversion of human sexuality that justified almost anything. One of the roots of this distortion is the fundamental false understanding of authentic love. So let's consider the differences. False love is rooted in our appetites, feelings, and emotions that triggers desire and affection. But desire and affection are like pyrite, called fool's gold, because 
its metallic luster and pale yellow hue gives it a kind of superficial resemblance of authentic gold. Desire and affection may feel like authentic love, but it's a counterfeit. It's not true. It's not the real deal. True love is forged in the will. So desire and affection are then irrelevant. Nice to have, doesn't matter. True love then has two essential qualities. Number one, it requires self-sacrifice. I give myself to you. Number two, commitment. I will be faithful to you when it is difficult. Perfect love, the kind of love we are called to give to God, to our spouse and our children, calls for total self-sacrifice, even if it requires my life. And secondly, absolute commitment. In other words, I will be faithful to you no matter how difficult. God created men and women in his image and likeness as persons with an equal dignity. In the marital act, men and women imitate the Creator's generosity and fruitfulness whenever they are open to cooperate with God in the creation of human life. Furthermore, the marital act reaffirms, renews the, cu the couple's lifetime commitment to each other. They are saying, in effect, this is my body which is given to you. There are two essential properties in marriage. The first is exclusivity. Because marriage involves the total self-giving of each spouse to the other. It is not a gift that can be shared with a third person. The second quality is this. Marriage is indissoluble. A valid marriage bond can only be broken by the death of one of the spouses. This is important. It's also important to realize God created human sexuality. Human sexuality is not just good. It is good, but it's holy. Ice cream is good, but sex is sacred. From the very beginning, God created marriage with a procreative end, and he directed his blessing to this very purpose. And therefore, the sexual union between a husband and his wife always has two purposes. First, the procreation and the raising of their children. This is how a husband and his wife cooperate with God in peopling heaven. Secondly, the good of the spouses as an expression of their lifetime gift of self to each other. And this is why the virtue of chastity is so important. The Catholic Church teaches that the sixth commandment encompasses the whole of human sexuality. Not only issues related to marriage, the virtue of chastity then governs the right use of our sexual appetite in accord with God's plan for human sexuality. And therefore, this beautiful virtue of chastity calls men and women to integrate their sexuality in a way that protects the integrity of the person and the integrity of 
the unconditional gift of self to each other in marriage. Marriage then demands an apprenticeship in self-mastery, which is also training in human freedom. Otherwise, a person could become a slave to his passions and then has crippled his ability to love authentically. Self-mastery, on the other hand, gives a person the capacity to love authentically so that they can make a true gift of themselves to their spouse. The sins against chastity are rooted in lust. Lust is the disordered desire for or the inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure, which is then sought for itself, isolated from its procreative life and unitive, committed love purposes. Promiscuous sex is often called lovemaking, but the truth is it has nothing to do with either genuine love or making. And if a child is made, the baby is often slaughtered in the mother's womb. What about contraception? The proper regulation of birth represents one of the aspects of responsible parenthood and motherhood. However, contraceptive acts that intentionally blocks the natural end of the marital union is always evil. It makes a lie of the body's language that is intended to express and renew the total self-giving. In the words of the Catechism, this leads not only to a positive refusal to be open to life, but also a falsification of the inner truth of conjugal love, which is called upon to give oneself totally to each other. It's saying, in effect, this is not my body given to you. The evil fruits of the wide exception of corruptions are all around us. Divorce, because it fosters selfishness. Abortion, because it makes the baby the enemy. And the redefinition of marriage. And this is where we are today in our society. Any use of human sexuality outside of its procreative end in a marriage of a husband and his wife is gravely sinful. Specific sins are identified and examined in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraphs 2351 all the way to 2357. What about divorce? Jesus declared that marriage is indissoluble when he abrogated the exception that came into the Mosaic Law. And therefore, a marriage between a baptized man and his wife that is ratified and consummated cannot be dissolved by any human power or any reason whatsoever other than the death of one of the parties. A civil so-called divorce may be obtained and only in order to protect certain legal rights and the welfare of children, but it does not dissolve the marriage bond. It does not free the couple to remarry. What's an annulment? Well, it's not Catholic divorce. A marriage annulment, more correctly called a decree of nullity, is a declaration by a church tribunal that a marriage thought to be valid actually 
fell short of one of the essential requirements to make a marriage bonding. The decree declares that there ever was a marriage in a sacramental sense, even though the couple are legally married according to civil law. The Ninth Commandment declares, you shall not covet your neighbor's life. This commandment is discussed here because it's connected with the Sixth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment focuses on internally consenting to elicit sexual desires. But here, this is important to remember, that 10,000 temptations do not equal even one sin. At the same time, we have to remember that Jesus taught everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This commandment focused then on combating the lust of the flesh, which is our disordered desire for sexual expression. And so Jesus calls us then to purity of heart because the heart, the will, refers to the very core of our moral capacity, the year of heart, which Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. Or those who have disciplined their will to the demands of holiness in the key areas of charity, chastity, the love of truth, and orthodoxy of faith. Acquiring this virtue often entails a fierce battle against the concupiscence of the flesh and our disordered desires. The virtue of purity is also connected with modesty, which protects the intimate center of a person. Modesty guides how we look at ourselves and others and how we present ourselves and our act toward them. It provides a fortress that risks the allurements of fashion and the pressures of the prevailing ideologies. Immodesty reduces a person to mere object to be used. The Eighth Commandment commands, you shall not bear false witnesses against your neighbor. Truthfulness is a bond that joins men together and makes a, for a peaceful life in society. Genuine freedom is only achieved in truth, even in a political sense. In fact, one of the very alarming facets of our current political life is the extent of lying, both during and after political campaigns. This lying is so tragically common that special words are used to hide its ugly reality. Words like spin and misspoke. Jesus is truth, and he reveals the whole truth. And he declared that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. So the following are sins against truth <clears throat> or against another's reputation. It's important to understand that every person has a right to a good reputation. And therefore, the Eighth Commandment forbids every attitude and word that is likely to cause the reputation of others unjust harm. Here it's important to remember, there is no such thing as holy gossip. 
So the following are sins that unjustly damage another's reputation. One, calumny. Calumny is harming another person's reputation with a lie or lies. And remember, this sin requires restitution for the harm done if the sin is to be forgiven. <clears throat> Number two, detraction. Detraction is harming another person's reputation with the truth that one is not required to share. This also requires restitution. Number three, rash judgment. Rash judgment is the negative moral judgment made about the reputation or the behavior of another person without sufficient reason. Perjury is lying under oath. The oath, calling upon God's name, significantly adds to the gravity of this sin. The gravity of lying is measured against the nature of the truth it deforms, the circumstances, the intention of one who lies, and the harm suffered by its victims. This commandment also obliges us to keep secrets. One, when the good of our neighbor demands it, or when we have permission to keep it, or when our profession requires it. Those binding of all secrets are those of the confessional. A priest may never reveal anything he learns in confession for any cause whatsoever. The seventh commandment commands, you shall not steal. Now, every person has a natural right to private property. So the seventh commandment forbids unjust taking, keeping, or using without permission our neighbor's goods. Tragically, stealing today has become very common. Restitution is vital. No one has a right to the property acquired by an unjust means. Therefore, stealing demands the restitution of the goods stolen or their value even when the sin is forgiven. In fact, the sin can't be forgiven unless one is intended to make restitution. The sin of theft or the unjust damage to another's property cannot be forgiven otherwise, and this is important, unless one has a determination to make restitution. Under this commandment, we also consider some of the principles of the church's social doctrine. For example, making profit the exclusive norm and the ultimate end is immoral. Secondly, any system that subordinates the basic rights of individuals or groups to the collective organization is immoral. Totalitarian atheistic ideologies like communism and socialism also immoral and totally unacceptable. At the same time, though, capitalism and individualism that promotes the absolute primacy of the marketplace is also immoral. So the primary goal of a moral economic system is to serve the good of persons, of everyone, the development of the whole man and the entire human family. Here, it's important to understand, work is for men, 
not men for work. Everyone should be able to draw from work the means of providing for his life and that of his family and of serving the common good. So to refuse to give a just wage when possible is a grave injustice. And the church always has a special care for the poor. Love for the poor is deeply embedded in the church's consistent tradition. The inordinate love of riches or their selfish use is incompatible with the love of God and caring for the poor. St. John Christendom said, Not to enable the poor to share in our goods is to steal from them and deprive them of life. The Tenth Commandment commands, You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. So this commandment relates to the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not steal, in that it forbids the internal consenting to illicit desire to unjustly acquire another's property. Coveting is at the root of theft, robbery, fraud, and injustices of every kind. So this command forbids greed, the desire to amass earthly goods without limit, and avarice, the passion for riches and their attendant power. Evil breeds sadness over another's possessions and instills the desire to acquire them unjustly, even at the point of destroying the person we envy. Cain's murder of Abel was a result of envy. The devil's envy drives him to destroy us spiritually and to create a culture of death. And as a result, St. Augustine called envy the diabolical sin. The world considers wealth to be a great blessing. Well, wait a second. If that is true, why was Jesus so poor? So what can we say in reflection? Jesus fulfilled and perfected the law of Moses, including the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He did not come to abolish its precepts, but to perfect them. Thus Jesus taught that if we want to enter eternal life, we are required to keep the commandments. Since apostolic time, the Ten Commandments form the basic moral instruction of Christians. These commandments form the springboard that trains our heart to love God and to love our neighbor. The edicts of the Decalogue also form a summary of the precepts of the moral natural law, truths that are written on the heart of every human being. And therefore, every person is bound to observe the Ten Commandments, not just Jews and not just Christians. The Decalogue then provides a sure guidance for determining what is good and what is truly evil. Fidelity, however, is impossible without God's help. And therefore, God's Spirit, which is poured into our hearts, St. Paul tells us, gives us the strength to be faithful. We can easily imagine how better our world would be if we all kept the commandments. It would almost seem like we are living in heaven on earth. So let us end 
are saying together the prayer that Jesus gave us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom comes, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses <clears throat> as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.